podcast world. What's up? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Thank you all so much for subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, telling your friends and family about us. The audience continues to grow. We're about a year old now, and I couldn't be happier with what's going on. Today's episode of the podcast is a special one. I am a huge fan of my guest today. Um, I don't know how to explain it other than he is a... uh, a true American. I think you could say a true American from humble beginnings to high school wrestling career to the United States military to Olympic and college wrestling career to combat sports hall of famer in the UFC. And uh, there's too many accolades to name Randy Kutzer. Thank you for being here, my man. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. How you been? I've been doing good. I just been, uh, it seems like every conversation starts off the same lately with man, what weird times we're living through and where you're sitting right now. I've been to Vegas a a lot of times in my life. I live in Reno, Nevada. I can't imagine the strip shut down. Is it true? Yeah, it's true. It's pretty weird. We drove the motorcycle down there the other night just to, just to look at it. And, uh, you know, they're doing a lot of, uh, asphalt work on the strip right now because there's no traffic. There's literally nobody there. Uh, they all they got a, a police car parked out in front of every casino with their lights on just so that there's, a, you know, a presence there in case somebody gets a crazy idea and wants to try to break in or something. Uh, they've got uh, heart shapes in all the hotels in the windows. They turn on the lights in the rooms in the shape of a heart in just about all the hotels going down the strip. So that's pretty cool. But uh, it's pretty weird to see it all dead. Nobody there. Well, you've had some of the greatest nights of your career in that city. Is that safe to say? Uh, I've had some pretty good nights at uh, a couple of the arenas here in in Las Vegas, for sure. I can't imagine, like, I don't know. I just don't even know how to, like, there's nothing else there, really. is. I mean, Vegas is awesome all the way around. But as far as people understand, would you agree with me, Randy, that Vegas is kind of become world renowned on just like this one street that is packed and they call it the strip and you have the old strip and the newer strip, but you know, you got, you got Lake Mead and you have a lot of, you got Summerlin and you have Red Rocks and you have all of the surrounding areas, the football stadiums about to open up with the Raiders, but man, and that's pretty close to the strip, but isn't it crazy that that city can develop that reputation and do that amount of revenue with literally like one block, which it is a large block. It's a lot of blocks, I guess, but one street, it's crazy. (laughs) right it feels everything's so big it seems like it's all just right there let's just walk over there but then you start making that walk and realize it's it's a lot bigger than you think it's true uh, but uh yeah i mean you know, it's crazy how, how much this town's grown there is a lot of other industry here besides the casino industry but the casino industry is certainly first and foremost the biggest and kind of sets the tone for everything else i mean look what the golden knights have been doing they, they've kind of raised the bar for hockey with their pregame shows and their halftime shows and all the things that they're doing Vegas style. It's been pretty cool to see and, and fun to watch. I'm excited to see what the Raiders do here. And you know, I think that's a, a sign of how far this city has come. I think because of the mob roots and things that were here in the old days of Vegas, I think professional athletics were kind of scared to come here. Um, and now I think it's become so corporate and, and so mainstream uh, that, that it's it's wide open and a great place for professional teams. So going to be fun. Going to be interesting when it opens back up. And since since your retirement from actually fighting, are you still in the fight game, or is did your entrepreneurial 
kick in, your entrepreneurial spirit kick in. And I know we're going to get into some of the acting gigs, which is unbelievable of, of the success you've had in Hollywood. But as far as the day to day in Vegas, are you still in the gym life? Are you owning your gym still? Do you, are some of those still open? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still owning Extreme Couture. Uh, I'm in the process of, of succeeding that to, to my son, Ryan. Obviously, Ryan's been fighting for about 10 years, mostly with Bellator fighting championships. And uh, I think he's coming to the end of it. He hasn't officially retired yet, but I, I noticed he got his, his septum put back in place, which is a pretty good indicator. You're not really interested in getting punched in the grill anymore. No, uh, what a way to so, make a living. But, uh, I'm in the process of handing the gym over to him and let him kind of run with the brand and take over the, the gym operations. Uh, I'm very focused on, on acting, having fun, uh, chasing those, learn, learning more about behind the camera production and producing. And, and, uh, uh I think eventually I'm going to foray into trying to write some stories and things too, not just wait, you know, for the phone to ring and, and hope to get another film, but take a little more proactive, uh, stance in, in, in the film industry. And that's been fun and interesting. Uh, we were just getting ready to, to start a film, uh, May 1st here called dark angels. It's kind of a action adventure, sci-fi, a little sci-fi supernatural, uh, story. Um, excited to one to be able to produce that and two to, to be able to act in it as well. I think it's, it's a really cool story. Um, so hopefully Vegas opens up here. They're saying maybe the first of May, uh, and we can get that back on track. We were writing the finishing throws of pre-production for the film and originally scheduled to start shooting in, in May for, for a few weeks. So hopefully get that right back on track and get that done and, and in the can and, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about that industry. I, they're saying uh, Expendables 4 will probably start up in the fall. So uh, hopefully that stays on track and, We've got a couple of other offers in, in the film business pending as well. Some TV stuff we're trying to put together and work on, but none of that's done yet. So until it's a signed deal and we know we're going to get it done, you've got to kind of keep your mouth shut. <laughs> hey, Randy, is, is um, in your life, have, did were you ever intimidated ever? And what I mean by that is you – you win a high school wrestling state championship and then you go straight into military, which is then thank you for your service. And that's very honorable. You come out of there and you go to one of the top wrestling, you know, high, you know, division one schools of all time, John Smith. And, and I'm, and I don't know if you wrestled with John, I'm sure you probably did in that time frame, or was he a little bit before you? John, John was the class before me, before the, you competitive years. And then, uh, his first year as the head coach was my senior year in college. Your senior year, you come out of there. I love the story. I want to know more about it. I've heard rumors about how the mistake was made in your paperwork in in the when you were applying for the Olympic team. Is this true, or was it an Army team that you applied for wrestling and you wanted to go freestyle, but they accidentally put you into Greco? Yeah, that that's true. That happened at a tournament in 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 Europe. Uh, I was stationed in Germany and, and had never really wrestled Greco before. Uh, I'd only wrestled free, honestly, a few times. So I hadn't wrestled that, that much more, but I'd never done Greco. And I joined the, the bracket for the tournament. They mistakenly put me on the Greco tournament too. And then, and call, start calling my name for a match. And I'm like, what the, I'm, how am I on that? And I just finished this match. And they well, you're going to wrestle Greco or not? And I said, well, all right, I did it. And, I ended up winning the tournament and made and the Olympic team. I fell in love with that style. Um, and, 
I don't know. I'm one of those guys. I, I started looking and researching the style and we'd really only had two world champions and one Olympic champion in Greco uh, in, from America. It was not a terribly popular style here. Uh, and so immediately I was like, okay, well, that's what I want to do then. I want to be the next guy to make a mark and that, that nobody else really seems to like. And uh, led me to, you know, my first world championship in, in the military, military world championships in, in 1988, uh, an alternate on the 88 team as a soldier, which got the attention of a lot of college coaches. Like, Who the, where'd this guy come from? Who the hell is he? Um, Cause I, you know, I didn't go to college. I, I went right into the army out of, out of high school. So um, they found out I had four years of eligibility and the phone started ringing. Lo and behold, I ended up at Oklahoma state, which was a great place for me. Uh, I think as much confidence as I've gotten in my ability in the army to compete on an inter international stage, I think it was at Oklahoma state. I, I learned that I could win at that level as well. So, uh, so you walk part of the journey. You walk right into a, a, a powerhouse. You, you're a three-time All-American. You're runner up in the NCAAs twice. You come out of this career and you go right into a Hall of Fame, mixed martial arts, combat fighting career. Um, like literally one of the, just an unbelievable career when you're, you, you go from heavyweight and light heavyweight back and forth sometimes, but you're little compared, you know, like you're fighting guys that were way bigger than you at 205, 210 pounds. I don't know what you walk around at. Is it safe to say it's somewhere at 215 though? I mean, you don't, you're not a huge guy. Sitting here at 215 right now. 215 uh, and you're fighting guys that are. Never fluctuated much. It stayed right around 220. Most of, most of my fighting career. Um, so, yeah, I had to think about it a little bit differently. Certainly 205 w was pretty easy for me to make as far as cutting a little bit of weight and then fighting the bigger guys. You had, you just, you had a little more about it. You didn't definitely want to go nose to nose and power for power with guys that size. You had to find ways around it, make them move, make them work, make them work harder than, than they really wanted to work or were forced to work before. So at, you, you, you research Greco-Roman, you become good at it. You go into college and become a, uh, have a great college career. You go into combat fighting and you research it and you gotta, you have to have a good strategy. You have to be an intelligent person to fight guys that are way bigger than you strong. Like you're a strong guy, but these guys are just as strong with a lot more body weight. So you have to figure this part of the game out. Then you leave this career and now you jump right into, it's not like you went down to the Las Vegas municipal theater and jumped in on the Christmas story on an acting gig, you jump right in with Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren and like, like serious action heroes. I mean, we're talking Rocky and we're talking Lincoln Hawk and over the top and in, in Rocky four training in the snow in Russia, like some of the greatest scenes of Dolph Lundgren and Apollo Creed. I mean like big time acting. So you start, now you're saying you're researching acting. Did it, were you ever intimidated in any of this or were you just kind of like F it let's roll? Well, I think, you know, like I said, it's been a journey. I think like every kid walking on that junior high school mat in the gymnasium full of your peers wearing a singlet and tights, I mean, that takes courage. Forget winning or losing, that takes care of itself. But just walking out there was 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 a challenge enough. And yeah, scared to death. But uh, I think that's the thing the sport breeds is that character. You learn to face those adversities, to go out and, and the – it's one of the things I love wrestling to this day. I think I'll always be that guy. I'll always look to look at the world through those eyes of a wrestler and, and apply that mindset to every problem that I face. 
that carried me through college, that carried me through fighting. And I think in a lot of ways that's fashioned me to, to go out and be successful in acting as well. Diligence, coachable, prepared, uh, going to be the first one on set, ready to go, easy to work with. Uh, I think those are all things that bleed over from fighting and wrestling to, to acting. And that I think in the long run are going to help me out. And it sounds to me like it's not just a hobby. It's not just, oh, it's Randy Couture. We're going to have him as a special. He's going to be playing himself on like the King of Queens episode and Hendo and the stuff that you guys have done there. It's hilarious with Kevin James. But these are like acting gigs to where you're you're really like thinking about this as a screenwriter and a producer. And you might even finance a movie one day with some, and find some money and become an executive producer. You're, it looks to me like you're are, – are, maybe wanting to be on the Academy one day of, of a, an acceptance speech or something. Is that, I mean, are those the goals? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if, if that's in the cards or not. Um, but you know, I, I don't really, I've never been one of those guys that do things halfway. It, you know, if I'm going to get involved and do it, I'm going to do it all the way and do it the best that I know how and, and uh, wherever that leads me. So, uh, you know, acting is certainly something outside the box for me. And I've spent my whole life as an athlete from the time I was six years old playing soccer all the way through school, you know, wrestling, football, baseball, every other sport you can think of. I tried it. And, uh, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that fastens you in a, in a particular way. You approach the world in a particular way because of that. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, I just think it's how you're wired. So are you wired the way that when you see some of the antics that go on in today's mixed martial arts world, are you a believer in selling the fight or are you more of a believer in let's settle it once they close that gate? Or is there, is there something to be said about, about getting the pay-per-view eyeballs on it through throwing water bottles and, 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 and pulling some of the antics that we're so used to seeing today? I'm not, I'm not a fan of that stuff and, and was never my style. Um, I think, you, you, you want to let your fight, you know, let your fighting speak for itself. I think that's what people want to see. They want to see you compete, see how you compete. So uh, I think that's what's most important. We started using this WWE model and, and rewarding these guys for their publicity stunts and their antics rather than, uh, you know, really is important. And that's the competition and how you compete. Uh, and I think that's the difference. And you think, I think you're seeing that pass in some of the other organizations. They're not, rewarding those antics if that's who you are and how you're wired have to do to go out and deal with the adversity of competition that's one thing but so many of these guys are doing it because it's being rewarded they feel like it's the market themselves yeah i think it's a a distraction i think it takes away from the athletics from the sport itself and and you know just the whole thing most of it's fabricated in my opinion i think very rarely is there genuine animosity between two competitors to combative sports athletes. I think most of it's hype. Most of it's they're trying to create heat, just like you said, to, to generate interest in a fight. Well, how about you just be yourself and go out there and, and put it on the line and do what we do. If that should be exciting enough, in my opinion. And I, I just don't see how anybody could ever argue that because if you look at <clears throat> this last big heavyweight title fight in boxing, when, when, 
you you have these guys, you know, Fury comes out against Wilder and the walkouts literally took like 12 minutes a piece. And it was a whole like you probably were like they had to have a choreographer. They had to have a script writer. They got to have stuntmen. The girls are faking carrying him on the chariot with the big king's lair. I get it. But Tyson would walk out Rocky Marciano style with black boots and a little towel cut off over him. And he would just like he'd win the fight before the bell went off 90 percent of the time. But Tyson's 19, 20 years old, knocking out grown men like they were nothing and he never once had a rap video or a rap walkout or it's just weird that it's weird that what does the audience really need that or could or could these guys just walk out and, and let their talent speak for themselves you and hendo and i know matt hughes had a little country you know a little hank williams jr country boy can survive you guys got your walkout songs but today it's like what are we really cheering on here? Are we are we are we voting on the best you know choreographed uh, in, entrance, or are we gonna are we gonna brawl? Because some of these fights don't. The last fight with this Stylebender guy, and I like Stylebender, and I think he's tough, and I think that he's talented. I don't. I would never disrespect the fighter or take anything away from the fight game. But he comes out in a choreographed dance move, and then him and Romero, who's a world class, I think a, I think he's a bronze medalist in the Olympics in freestyle wrestling. They don't even throw a punch, and they don't even get a takedown. Yeah. Well, Romero, Romero was an absolute stud in the freestyle wrestling. And I think he was a world champion for Cuba. I, I know I had an, an athlete from Oregon State that competed against him a lot and eventually beat him to win a world championship. But Joel Romero is a very, very freestyle wrestler. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that's what it boils down to. They're trying to create more of a sensation than a sport already as exciting and thrilling as it gets, in my opinion. So, but again, you know, I, I can't explain that other than just trying to use it as a marketing tool. I've been doing a lot of a lot of these Zoom, uh, you know, a veterans program. We're doing dual meetings because we can't get in our gyms and do our usual workouts and our usual meetings. So we've been doing them all virtually uh, for the last few weeks. And it's, it's been pretty cool. So thankful for, for the ability to be able to connect that way. Yeah. We may physically distanced, but we can socially stay connected and real important, especially for our vets. You know, they're not good at being isolated. Um, so it's no. been, uh, it's, you know, one of those things we've had to adapt and kind of overcome with all this quarantine stuff. Well, we're talking about your fighting career, but when you bring up a great point of, of the way that somebody at your level in life can give back and through our hunting, um, brands we've been able to take several veterans and warriors on hunts to get them back out in the field through um whether it was freedom hunters or we work with a group out of tennessee called special ops excursions that they concentrate and focus their efforts on getting active duty special forces members into the woods when they're in and out of duty like if they get a couple months off we'll get them on a duck hunting trip or a fishing excursion so we've been able to have these guys and girls in our duck blinds in the turkey woods with us and just see how therapeutic you know, a duck hunt can be, or in your case, a workout can be, or a fight, you know, uh, maybe some sparring or rolling or, you know, whatever it is. I, I think that that is, is like one of my number one goals in life right now is to really pay attention to the things that you could easily wake up 
in Reno, Nevada and Tahoe right here and never think of, think about it, you know, because it's not like people are like sitting there saying, Hey, take care of the veterans. And that's, it's just like, it's a, you got, I, it's a constant focus of mine to really shed light on that. And I know it is for you too, because veterans don't ask for it. They don't want it. They, they, they it, sometimes they don't even accept it a lot of the times, but once you get them out there and see how free it is and let their, their, their boots hit that soil and the duck blind or whatever, it's amazing to see what it does to their soul. So I, I appreciate and honor you for doing that. Uh, it's, you know, I wore that uniform for six years and just trying to find a way to do my part and, and get back. I mean, since 9-11, we've got a lot of guys literally putting their asses on the line for, for our country and our way of life. And, and uh, they need to, you know, they come back and strip that uniform away and we just throw them back in society. They're going to assimilate like a normal human. And there's nothing normal about them. They're special individuals that can do that kind of training do those sorts of things that nobody else wants to really do. And uh, you strip that identity away and just throw them back. It's you help, got to help them find a new purpose, help them get those demons out and show them the light of day uh, so that, that they can find a way to process where they've been and what they've seen and done. And, and you know, that, allow them to get through it. Post-traumatic stress happens to a lot of people in a lot of different situations doesn't become a disorder unless you stuff those feelings down there so long that they start getting in the way. You start dragging around a bunch of baggage that affects your relationships and everything else. So creating some places where these guys can let some of those things out uh, with people that understand and speak the same language that have been there and done that too uh, has been very, very powerful. And so one, that's and one, that's yeah. org, Merging Vets and Players has been a, a lot of fun for the last four years to see grow and to be a part of. So Say the name again, really- Randy. Say the name again, please. MVP, Merging Vets and Players. So the website is vetsandplayers.org. And, and if, if, if somebody wants to get involved, is it a volunteer basis? Is it a charitable donation? What is the main mission of MVP? If you're a vet, uh, we're in five cities right now across the country. We're in L.A., Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, and um, Manhattan, New York City. Uh, find us on the website and go to one of our chapters. Go to a workout. If you're a vet or a retired ball player in any sport, our gyms are open to you. Come hang out. Come get reconnected with other folks that are just like you are. And uh, and if, if not, go to the site. Look it up. Look up our fundraising events and some of the other stuff we're doing. If you want to contribute to create these places for these vets and these players to, to get together and stay healthy, uh, then then get on board. Help us. Help us do that. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get involved and help spread the love and spread the word on that. And I think that one of the things that I that I realized being around veterans, Randy Couture, is that you would think that a normal person when they get out of that type of situation would be happier. You know what I mean? But they're, they're longing to get back there and be besides their brother. So if it's an injury that prevents them from going back or, you know, their time has come to an end, they have a really hard time disconnecting from where they think that they're supposed to be and where they they're comfortable being. And I think that that's a big part of what we want to do is make them feel like, Hey, you're accepted here. This is what, you know, you're welcome to train here, fight in this gym. You're welcome to be in this duck blind with us. And I think they just have a, really hard time accepting the fact that they don't get to go over there and do what they feel that they were put on earth to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think they're calling. That's their purpose. Serving is, is their purpose. That's who they are. And especially the longer they've done it, it is to just strip that walk that I was in both of those uniforms soldier for six years and made the decision to get out and walk away from that decision for me. I was a professional athlete for 14 years. 
making the decision that it was time to hang up those gloves and walk away from that was a big, difficult decision. It was not easy. I'm very fortunate in that I had a ready-made purpose already in line. My decision, you know, seemed seamless. It was still a big decision and a difficult for me to do, but I was fortunate and I had acting to fall back on or I had going to Oklahoma State when I walked away from that military uniform. You know, that's how I was supporting my family. Those were my friends, part of who I was. And uh, so finding that new purpose, that new way forward to continue to continue to do something that I'm passionate about. And that's what these guys need to need to find too while they're in transit. That's the key. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's very well said. And talking about you walking away from fighting and you saying how difficult it was, I think that there's proof in that of, I think that you won four title fights or four big time UFC fights after the age of 40. Is that correct? Uh, I think it's something like that. I, I don't know all the stats, but uh, it's, I know I, I think I won my, my last title was against Tim Sylvia fight. And I think it was all when, when that fight happened. So I think it was the oldest heavyweight champion at, at that time. Um, so I don't, you know, stats are stats. I don't track them that that much, to be honest. But uh, but, Sil- know, but Sylvia had beaten like Arlowski, like right before that, right? Didn't he take the title from Arlowski? Wasn't that that time where? Yeah, Andre- yeah there was about three. Was the Sylvia Arlowski show? You know, they were back and forth. I think they fought each other three or four times and beat each other back and forth for the, for the title a couple of times. Um, so yeah, that Tim was, Tim was at the under top of the heap there in that division for a while. And that uh, was a big opportunity to, to fight Tim. He was a great big guy and he was a friend. He was somebody I, I, I like. And to this day, we're still friends. Uh, so, uh, and, and it's always interesting when you compete against someone that you care about that, that's a friend of yours. What what was his talent? I know that he had a good reach. Did he have a wrestling background? Was he jiu-jitsu or was he just all hands or did he throw kicks? What was Tim's how did he win? How did he beat Arlowski or even be in the 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 ring with Randy Couture? Because obviously the guy, I think he was a two-time champion in the heavyweight division. I mean, he was a fighter. I mean he's a UFC champion. That's saying enough right there. But he's so unassuming to me because I've met him at a bunch of hunting shows. Besides his yeah. size, you're like, man, he's a big man. But no, what, yes. what was his fighting talent? Yeah, I, I mean, Tim was a very good striker who learned enough in the other areas to, to keep fight standing or survive on the ground. You know, obviously, you know, he, he lost to Mir on the ground. He got, he got his arm broken, that one. But uh, most of the time, he, he demonstrated well-rounded skills and was able to stay where he needed to stay, which was in the standing position. What, what's the mindset have to be, Randy Couture, when you know that you're going against – you know, the baddest people in the world, you're, you're one of them. So they got to have a mindset too. You went up against the Chuck Liddell's, you went up against Brock Lesnar. Like that is a Chuck Liddell's probably 185 to 200 pounds at the time, maybe 205. Were you fighting at 205 against Chuck Liddell? Those were both, all three of those fights were at 205. Yeah. And Lesnar's got to be 265 to 280 somewhere in there when you fight him. 290. 290. What is the mindset? How do you do that or even persuade yourself to say, yeah, I'm going to go in there against Brock Lesnar, who is a good wrestler, right? Yeah, very good wrestler. Very NCAA, NCAA, NCAA champ. Minnesota. Um, 
very, very good athlete, very good wrestler, and a great big guy. Yeah, he is a big guy. He, he, every guy you face poses problems. It's problem solving. That's what it is. You got to train your mind and your body to figure out how the best way to solve the problem using the skills and tools that you have in your tool belt. That's fighting in a nutshell. Um, sometimes you get it right and it's a great night and sometimes you get it wrong and it's not so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, is there any regrets in any of your regimens, your training, your dieting, your nutrition, your, your, your focus or your mental stability or your toughness, your mental toughness, you're already a wrestler, a world-class wrestler. So there's nothing that you're, that can intimidate. I keep going back to that word intimidation because I, I just see a lot of your matches to where you, you, you were so, uh, so driven to where your specialty was takedowns, some ground and pound, tying up with a guy. But a lot of times you would stay on your feet and you would battle and strap and scrap that way. You became like an all around fighter. And as I watched your career, it seemed to me like you had to adapt to a lot of different styles at the time. And I didn't know that if you ever trained in boxing did you train in jiu-jitsu like today you see guys that are black belt in this and they they go train with freddie roach down in la you know down and they're they're the, the gyms are so much more technologically advanced today it seems like and they're so they got a coach for every different sector of this mma and to me you yeah. just seem like this all-american badass wrestler that was going in there and just straight scrapping well i definitely tried to take this the, you know be a student of the game uh, I recognize that as, as strong as my wrestling background was, and that was a great foundation for me, I had to go out and learn these other things. I had to start boxing and kicking and, and training and movie. Those were my three favorite styles and where I spent the most time because I knew if I could use my wrestling effectively, strike with enough to get my hands on him, I could make him wrestle me. And that put me in a good to win. Uh, I definitely had to study black you know, jujitsu and eventually ended up getting a black belt in jujitsu under Neil Melanson. Um, it took me 14 years, but uh, I, I, you know, I had to understand the problem these guys were posing, what they were doing and how they were that kind of, of least resistance that jujitsu was or is. I had to kind of figure that out and kind of unlock or, or play around with the Rubik's cube, right. To find the right question. And, each guy poses different areas of strengths and strengths and weakness. You have to sharpen specific tools to go out and face you. Uh, and, and that varied from, uh, so it's definitely right. A thinking man's game. It's not less physical activity. You definitely need to be cerebral and, and most of it that we know and mix. There's an opportunity to be so athlete in our society, which is, um, certainly a big thing for me. so it was something I took very seriously and just about brutality it was it was about you know technique tactics having the right mind in perspective not being afraid to go out and fail having an 11 as a fighter and, and loss is more important that was my guide you know that oh I needed to make some changes I need to really analyze my skill sets mistakes and what I could do better and kept me on the path of getting better and improving all the time. Do you, are you happy with, and I know that you can't turn back time and I know that you can't pick where you're at in a timeline because of, you know, that's, that's, that's life, but you were, 
in that golden era of MMA of what I consider like the trailblazing era. And I know that the Gracies and they, they brought jujitsu here from Brazil. And I know that MMA had been around 93, 94 UFC starts, but I really feel like maybe that's a little early. Maybe it was 99, maybe it's 98, 99. You can correct me if I'm wrong. 93, 93. Yep. 93. So, but in that 2001, 2003, 2005, 2008 time range is when you and the Liddell's and, 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 and is that when it really took off? Is that when Forrest and Bonner fight or is that, is that kind of the golden age of MMA in your opinion? Or would you rather be fighting today with the chance of the bigger contracts or the bigger payday, the bigger pay-per-views at UFC? Is, it seems like there's a fight every night, at least three times a week. It seems when, b- before the quarantine, but do you wish that you were fighting in a different time or are you happy with where, when you came up? Oh, I'm happy with where I came in. I think I came in right on the transition of that first generation of fighters that were out to prove that their style was the best style. And I think we really we realized very quickly that there was no one style that encompassed everything you needed to know. And so part of that second phase of fighters that cross-trained, learned all this sort of stuff, tried to become a well-rounded, complete fighter. And now I think we're in a third generation of fighters that watched us, saw us competing and said, that's what I want to do. They weren't worried about a belt or anything. They just wanted to be a mixed martial artist and a well-rounded fighter. And a lot of amazing guys, you know, in cages in different promotions across the world right now because of that. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm happy with the era that I got to fight in. I'm happy with, seeing the sport evolve the way it has to, to, to the level that it's at now. And I don't think there's any of that I would change. You know, I wouldn't go back and change any of the fights. You know, like I said, those losses are almost more important to me than, than the wins. I never went back and watched the fights I won. Why? I got the outcome I wanted. You'd be damn sure I watched every single one I lost multiple times, trying to figure out what I could do better, how I could improve, where to move forward from there, pick myself back up, and get back out there and try and find again. That that that, in my opinion, is what's important in our sport. Wow, that's a very good way to look at it. And I think that you said something there that's so important to the greatest athletes in their respective areas and sports is not being able, not being afraid to fail and learning from failure and using it as something that you advance yourself. Because a lot of times I look at fighting like this, Randy Couture, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but. I think that fighting is a legacy game and I think it's a respect deal to where your career is built on the way that you treat the sport and respect the sport, but it also reflects your, your, your win loss reflects it. And the way that you hold, you know, your championship fights and your belts that you've won. I think that fighting isn't done on going out and saying, all right, I, I came into the sport. I made a lot of money. And I got a lot of endorsement deals and I'm, I'm fine with my career. And it's cool that if you're like that, but in the fight game, I look at it as something that the legacy of the fighter is, is everything. And I don't think it's built on the smack talk or the amount of pay-per-views or the money part of, of, and I, and I know that you had a successful career financially. I just look at fighting as if you're can't look back on it and go, that's my stamp. That's my legacy. I'm happy with that. Then that's really not the fight game. I don't think that some of the antics that we started this conversation with are what the fight game's all about. And I think that the maturity level of a fighter later on in their career, hopefully, is understanding that nobody, whether you're Mayweather Jr., whether you're Tyson Ali, Conor McGregor, Randy Couture, you're not bigger than the fight game. And the legacy is the respect of that game 
and your opponent. And I just think that a lot of these guys today are in it. They think that that, that quick money is going to satisfy them. And I think they soon realize that that's not what it's about. I, even Connor has had to can't come back, shake himself and reapply himself is like, look, I want to go out as a fighter. I've made money, but I can't leave my career. That guy could retire right now and never fight again. But I think something inside of him tells me, look, I'm not respected by other fighters. Randy Couture is very well respected by other fighters. Dan Hendo Henderson is very well respected by other fighters. These guys that pull that shit, I think, come back and go, you know what? I got to go back and I have to reinvent myself and show that I am respectful of my opponents and I, and I hold the fight game at the ultimate level. And I think that a lot of that gets away from people with the, the big endorsement deals and the big paychecks. It's not about the money in fighting. You can see it in Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was worth $300 million at 22 years old and lost it all. But he still, when he goes into a room of boxing fans, gets a standing ovation because of the stamp he left, even with the embarrassments of the Holyfield ear and the Lennox Lewis fights and the stuff that he wasn't even, he shouldn't have even been in the ring then. He, he wasn't even known for that in my opinion. I don't know if I'm making sense, but the legacy of a fighter is more important than all of that, you know, uh, the paycheck and the, in the big ritzy red carpet limousine life. Yeah, I think there's some truth in that for sure. And I think, you know, you boil it down to what's important. Important is pursuing your with everything that you have, everything that you are. And that's what fighting is. It's a tough way to make a living. Anybody that tells you it's easy is crazy. It's, it's not easy. It's a, there's a lot that goes into it. It's very physical. It's very demanding. And you have to be a student of the game if you want to be successful. That's why there's so, you know small percentage of the people in the population that reach that level. You know, 2 3% of, of a sport like MMA because it, it's, it takes a lot. It's very, very difficult. So uh, you better be passionate about it. It better be something you really love and really want to do uh, if you're going to go down that road. Yeah, and I think I think I was just trying to say, Randy, is that it just seems to me like as a fighter, you'd want to look back on your career and go, you know what? I, I was respected by the other fighters. Or do you look at it and go, I did what it took to make a living? I don't know if you can do that in the fight game. That is all I'm saying is that I just think it's a, one of those career paths that you cannot – disrespect the game because the fight game is everything and it's a very small fraction that makes it and you can't you just can't build a, a fighting career on on personality and attitude I don't think I think you got to be able to back it up and I think that you have to learn that respect game no matter where it is in your career or I think you'll be forgotten I really do I don't think that you want to be forgotten by other fighters well I, I just hope that that's something that changes in our sport the, the camaraderie and respect between the athletes that's what martial arts is all about and and i think so many of these other antics and publicity stunts and stuff detract from that respect of, of of what the sport and the character that the sport fosters that it brings out in people and it gets gets lost in in some of that craziness so i, I agree with what you're saying so when you walk into a reunion or you walk onto a movie set, because I know like a guy like Liddell has been in some movies. I know Uriah Faber had a movie come out this week. I don't know if you've talked to Uriah, but he just put out a new movie on the on the hemp or the marijuana of Northern California industry. Um, oh. it, it, that just came out on last Friday. When you see a guy like Chuck Liddell, when you had you had three big time memorable bouts with him, mm -hmm. you lost two of those, if I'm correct, right? Right. Do you, is there any animosity or, at all, or is it a hundred percent respect and love for each other? Tito and I are friends. I'm friends with Tim Sylvia. 
I mean, I, I can't think of a single guy, honestly, that I fought of the 30 fights that I had that I don't get along with and that I couldn't text or call up and say, yo, man, what's going on? How are you? What are you up to? Or, you know, I just, it was never about animosity or any of those things. I think that if you're going into a fight with that, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be rash and you're going to put yourself in harm's way. You're going to make mistakes. So I think it's, it's a very calculated, calm, uh, you know, very specific minds. That's what fighters are. That's what we do. It's not a spike. As I think that's a lot of fans have trouble putting themselves in our shoes and walking those four steps up into the cage and the mindset and what it takes to do that. They relate to that altercation or that street fight where somebody was pushing them, being obnoxious, you know, insulting or, or physically harassing you to the point where you lose it and, and you've got to take care of business. Uh, that's not what MMA and, and prize fighting, real fighting is all about. It is very calculated, very tactical and technical. And, and if you go in any other place and you allow your emotions, a mad athlete is a bad athlete, in my opinion. You got to stay centered and focused and do exactly what you're trained to do to be successful. And it, is this how you were brought up from your earliest days of, of wrestling and athletics? Was Were you a, a student of the game, like you became a student of different things in your life, including acting, including Greco-Roman? Were you always breaking it down and figure out how to have the upper level? Were you always fighting up? Did you always wrestle up with your size? Were you a smaller guy growing up and you always had to figure out a way? I, I did wrestle up a few times in my high school career. Uh, I wrestled up a couple times up for the national team here and there as well. Uh, really kind of got into being a real student of the game, trying to break into the upper echelon and, and the national team and, and the international stage, trying to win a world championship. That's where you had to really start setting opponents, where they were strong, where, where they get scored fights or matches. How did they lose matches? And, and, Take film, study film. Same in college. It was that same mentality. That was something that wrestling fostered in me that translated over to fighting. Um, I don't think a lot of fighters, I mean, I think more fighters approach the sport that way now. But I don't, you know, when I started, I don't think very many fighters thought of it that way or that way. Uh, I think I had the benefit of having all that wrestling background, being on collegiate programs and, and national team programs, where that was a huge you had to study. You had to know, you know, what you had to watch out for. But just be aware of those things. Train those things. That that was a big part of, of wrestling at both the college level and national circuit. I totally understand. And and what about the business side of Randy Couture? You're a businessman, you know, during your fighting career and after you've had clothing lines, you've had gyms, you have an acting business, you have an acting career. What is your opinion as an athlete and as a businessman of the the sponsorship parallel in MMA where like a Bellator, you can go out and do what you used to do where like Matt Hughes or you guys like Matt would have hunting companies on his shorts, you know, and ammunition. And now it's all Reebok. And then you would throw your banner over the, you know, you'd have your banner over the, uh, the octagon and you'd see Randy Couture's fight camp is sponsored by all of these guys as an athlete. You're getting money in plus you're getting paid by the league as a businessman. Did you understand Dana White and the Fertitas or were you one sided like that? That should not, be taken out of the fighters hands or can you even talk on that 
Well, I, I mean, I, I thought that was a travesty to the fighters for sure, especially those those mid mid and lower tier fighters that were making almost as much from from their sponsorships as they were from their purses. The promoter wasn't paying those guys that well, so they could go out and generate just as much income from that exposure they were giving a potential sponsor. Sponsor. So that was something that I think greedily, in my opinion, the the, the company took away from the athletes. Uh, you know, they signed a $70 million deal with Reebok. Supposedly the athletes were going to get remunerated for their kits uh, at each show, but those numbers never, they never washed out. Especially, I mean, the upper echelon fighters, the top three to 5% of the people that were getting percentages of pay-per-view and getting the bigger purses, that, that those were relationships that we enjoyed. You know, some of my friends were the ones that wanted to sponsor me, wanted that exposure but as far as my purse or the, or the amount I was making off that fight, it was less significant. Those mid and lower tier fighters, that's significant amount of money for them. They're making 10 and 10, you know, 10,000 to show, 10,000 to win. They can get another $20,000 worth of sponsorships if they're in a TV fight, but that's based on their butt, or that's based on their banner. That's a lot of money to a guy like that that's only going to maybe get to fight two or three times in a year. To, to make those numbers add up, to make fighting worthwhile. Honestly, you still got a family to support. You still got bills to pay. You still got to live. So there's, there's a delicate balance there. And, and in my opinion, I think that the Reebok deal hurt the UFC, hurt, hurt their brand. I think the, the fans were disenchanted by that, that treated the fighters. And I think a lot of the fighters were disenchanted as well. And you saw a lot of guys take their, their option for free agency and go to another organization when that stuff came down. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly what I was thinking that you would say, not verbatim, but it, it seems to me like if you're potentially going to sell a business for $4.2 billion or however much money they ended up selling the league for two years ago, two and a half years ago, whatever that was, I just don't think that $70 million really meant shit in the long run where they could have let the athletes continue on that path. And, but I guess that the UFC is like, if you're not paying us directly, then you're not going to have your name on anything within the bounds of us filling these seats. When a lot of the times those fighters were the ones filling that seat. And yes, the UFC was giving you guys a platform to fight on, but you guys were the ones that were honing your skills and getting to the point to get the, the fans that impressed with what, wanting to come out and support you. So you should be able to go out and, and work with the companies that you want, in my opinion. And I'm looking at it from, I'm trying to look at it from the entrepreneurial side of like, why did the Fertitas and Dana White really need that Reebok money? One, the uniforms are not that good looking. And, I, and I'm just being like aestheticals right there, but they're just not that cool looking in a lot of the instances that you see. Myself as a UFC fan, I have probably 15 to 20 tap out fight shirts from the early days of your career and Liddell's and Ryan Bader's and some other guys that I've met or different affliction shirts that you add or, or, or your natural couture shirts and stuff like that. Never, never once have I bought a Reebok kit or even thought about buying one for my nephew or anybody. So I don't really know how many they're actually selling. I've never seen one being worn in any public forum I've been at. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Um, let's see, you know, obviously in the gym, I see a bunch of guys carrying the Reebok bags and, and wearing the Reebok shirts or training in their, in their, their kits and their gear, but I've never seen any of the fans wearing them. No. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I was part and parcel of that whole thing. You know, we, we were a big sponsor, extreme couture and affliction 
clothing companies were both huge sponsors of athletes. I think we had 30 athletes on our, on our books one time that we were sponsoring and all of that went away. Reebok deal. But even when we were able to sponsor athletes, they, UFC was still making us pay a hundred thousand dollar fee for the year to be an official sponsor, to be able to sponsor athletes that fought on those cards. Oh, they were making money then. Oh yeah. They were going to get their money one way or the other. Uh, You know, and, and obviously signing the Reebok deal was, and the uniforms was, was a big money deal for them as a company. And that's all. And at the end of the day, it's a business and that's all that really matters to them is their bottom line. Yeah. But again, when you're talking about fighters, you're, you're, you, they have this, I guess they could always have the stance of where are you going to go? Where are you going to go if you're not fighting in the UFC? And I yeah. think that that was kind of the mindset. It had to be right. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so you're saying that once this contract was signed, that if you wanted to go out and get a publishing deal on a book about your life, or they wanted you to be on the cover of a video game, you would have had to go through the UFC and they would have made us. Is that kind of like the Vince McMahon model to where if Hulk Hogan wanted to go make a movie? That's exactly what it is. It's the exact same model that, that, that the UFC and Dan is using. Uh, they, they want to tie up your ancillary rights in perpetuity forever, not just while you're fighting, but forever under that contract. It was a pretty lousy contract. And I was one of the only fighters or first and kind of realized what an ancillary right was trying to fight for, for those. I had clothing and some other categories, you know, uh, that I wanted to take the, I reckon I was building a brand as a fighter and uh, that that was in other ways going to be able to, when I wasn't able to fight anymore, make me be able to have a way to make a living off of that brand that I was building. Uh, and yes, graciously, they provided a platform for me to, to ply my wares, to go out and fight and compete. And for that, I was, I was certainly appreciative, but at the same time, you want to sign everything over to them and just let them own me from top to bottom. It doesn't, it just didn't seem right. Um, so, I mean, so are, I you thought, an, are you allowed to use the name natural right now? Yeah, it's mine. I mean, so I didn't I didn't give myself that nickname, but it was the nickname that you know that or Captain America associated to me or with me through fighting. Um, but it's not licensed by anybody else. Um, so you know, I don't use it. People call me that. I, I never really it wasn't my thing, it was their thing. So the guy like The Rock, that name was probably given to him through the WWE or, and then became the, you know, the WWF or whatever back. Does he have to go to Vince McMahon and say, can I still use that name as an actor? Or does, that, does he just go by Dwayne now? You, do you know The Rock? Do you run with him at all? I've, I've met him. I don't run with him, but I've met him a few times. I've uh, been on a few episodes of Ballers. I wasn't in specific scenes with him, but that's a big show for him. Um, I've met him at fights. Uh, I think he goes by Dwayne Johnson. I think, you know, the, the rock still gets thrown around there. That's how people recognize him. Certainly his fan base. Um, I'm not really sure what his contract looks like with, with Vince McMahon and what he had to ask permission for or not. Uh, certainly his success has been good for the WWE and, uh, and Vince and, and everything that they're doing. So, uh, you know, one hand washes the other, but, uh, I definitely know that they use the same exact model controlling all those ancillary rights and all of that stuff. Speaking of WWE and that type of wrestling, Randy, have you watched the documentary on Netflix called beyond the mat? 
beyond the mat. It's a documentary film to where this guy goes around and he wants and he wants to meet a certain number of of wrestlers that he kind of grew up watching. So those include it. Those include uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, this might start with Terry Funk, Jake the Snake, and um, anyway, at the very end, it's like it's it's. Uh, I want to make sure that I have all of this right, but it's the guy that has all the different personalities like mankind and wears a mask in one of his personalities. And he's another name. He's got like three of them. I don't know if you know anything about that part of wrestling, but I thought it was really interesting to where he's going, he's in WrestleMania fighting the rock for the title. And he, and it goes through the entire discussion of, of what they do to set this fight up and like, I'm going to do this and then you're going to grab me here. Then you're going to run up the stairs and you're going to, you're going to try to lure me up there. Then you're going to hit me and knock me off and I'm going to fall on the table. And, and I was just like, man, this like is unbelievable. It's like, it just, uh, and we all know what big time wrestling is and I get it, but these guys are truly like acting and giving these fans like this show. And the thing that I brought out of it was like, I mean, these guys are going to the hospital and they are beat up. The injuries were not fake. I mean, the, oh, the they were getting the heck beat out of them, man. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a physical activity for sure. Yeah, maybe choreographed and have predetermined outcomes, but these guys are athletic as anybody, and and it's it's very physical. They get beat up. They they do. And the dip is they're going to compete again in a few days. Every city, every good. There's no sitting out. The show must go on. So, I mean, they, they end up taking pain pills and a lot of other things so that they can continue to perform week in, week out, night in, night out. And that's, that's hard on the body. Yeah. It's just, if you get a chance to watch it and they got to Jake, the snake that when I was watching WWE growing up, he was the one that would bring the bag in and he would have the bow of the Python in there and he'd, he, he would pin his guy and then he'd put the snake on him. Man, it goes through his departure from McMahon and then all these little tiny deals that he got in, in tiny towns across America and his heroin addiction. And it like literally like shows the loneliness of going from 50,000 roaring fans to a lonely Ramada Inn hotel bed. And he's like, that's when reality would sit in is like he literally hadn't he was on top of the world. And then he was he just felt like as lonely as you could possibly be. And I travel a lot and I'm on the road a lot and I. I cherish my lifestyle, but it gets lonely. It gets hard to be away from your family, away from your roots. And you're always, you know, away, you were away training, or I might be on a, a, a one month run. Or could you imagine being in the military? Like you were at one time when you're doing deployments of six, nine, 18 months at a time. And I just think that, you know, I, I often think about that word loneliness and I, I think it's healthy in some ways, but I also think that like when you get to that stardom of where you got in your fight game and where Jake the Snake got in his wrestling career, it's almost like, is there, can you adapt? Is there PTSD from that to where you go from being Randy Couture and you're fighting in front of all of these raving fans and you go, you try to go into Nobu at the hard rock. And I've been there with Hendo to where it's, it's literally like Jesus parting the water. It's like Hendo selfie, Hendo sign this napkin. And I'm like, Dude, he's been retired for five years and he's still this famous. And I know you are too. And then do you go back to your room and reality sits in of like, man, the fight game's over? Or are you were you always mentally stable to, to handle that part of it? I know you said it was difficult, but it seems like that that seems to me, and I and I and I'll finish by saying this. I've seen fighters, including Jake the Snake in this documentary, and Terry Funk and him coming back into retirement when his doctor literally tells him on camera, you should never ever fight again. Your knees are completely gone. You're going to hurt yourself really bad. And, um, 
guys that have come back and fought in their forties, like you did, but there are also those fighters. Like in my opinion, I think that Matt Hughes is a different story than what is out there. I don't know that for sure, but I think that depression sits in with some of these fighters when that red carpet and that screaming crowd is gone. And now you have to adapt like that soldier coming back and I'm nowhere near putting it on the same level, but they have to yeah. adapt in society again. And now the, the, the red carpet's been pulled out from under. You're not on private jets anymore. You're not signing autographs as much as you were your, your payday aren't there your endorsement deals might be falling off and you have to go back to that hotel room and be like what the heck man i was just randy the natural couture and now i'm just randy couture trying to make and i'm not saying this to you specifically i'm just i've seen a lot of fighters let me rephrase that i've seen quite a few fighters that i feel opinionated that say that they've been affected by going from the vip to now it's just back to regular life well, I, again, I think that's part of that transition that the, the same struggle that our soldiers struggle with strip away huge pieces of their identity, infrastructure, the guys they are used to having as support systems, uh, all the things that they are. And the same thing with a professional athlete, the lock. That's the biggest thing. Most of those ballplayers miss is that locker room, that camaraderie. Those are the guys you can bitch to when things are going bad. And those are the guys that are going to slap you on the back when things are going great. That's what you miss. Yes, there's an adrenaline rush to being in combat. There's an adrenaline rush to competing, walking out of that tunnel on the football field or walking up those four steps into the cage. And that's something we as humans have to figure out and put in perspective. But finding that new purpose, that new thing that you're passionate about, where you feel like you're being of service, you're doing something worthwhile, maybe you're helping others or giving back to others, those things fill you up and make you feel okay. You know, they, 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 they give you that new thing to look forward to when you can't do those things we used to do. You can't get up in that cage and fight anymore. You can't walk out on that football field and, and play the game anymore at the level you were used to. At the end of the day, you know, that make you broken. I think so many people want to assume that we're broken because of that, because that depression comes or whatever, you struggle with that transition. We try to change that narrative. That doesn't make you broken. You're still the same special person that you always were. What what's behind those rib cage that rib cage is what matters. That's what made you special. That's what made you able to suck it up, do the things that nobody else was able to do, and be able to be in a position to walk out on that field, on that bottle battlefield, or in that cage in the first place. So embrace that. Embrace your scars. Embrace all those things. They make you that special person. That doesn't make you broken. And then find that new purpose, that new thing that you can focus all that energy and that mindset on that's going to fulfill you, to make you feel comfortable, like you're contributing again and that you're part of something. Those are important things. Randy, when, when we talked about the, the time that you came in and that transition from the first generation of MMA and you were in that new, that new role, Every time I think about it, when I when I see some of these reruns on on TV or like a, a Instagram clip of it, a fight, I'm like, ah, shit, that was just seven years ago. And then it says 2005. And I'm like, what? Do you ever get that feeling like where, where did this time? Obviously, we do like time. My dad always would tell me before he passed on. He's like, dude, trust me, you're going to be here someday. Time flies. And now I'm 45 years old and I'm sitting here going like, 
I was just watching Randy Couture fight Chuck Liddell like seven years ago. And that shit was like 15 years ago, like six. How, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I was watching, I've been a UFC MMA fan for a lot longer than I thought I have been, you know, like I've been watching it for that long. And I'm like, there's no way. So do you, what you just said about making that transition from retirement and finding something new to put your energy into being an aging athlete, which I'm in, I'm in a, uh, with a trainer named Matt Pandola and his course with me is called the aging athlete athlete to, uh, to keep the same values and the same consistency and chemistry and, and substance behind that rib cage that you did when you were competing, but trying to find a new avenue to put your focus into and to be a, you know, a contributor. So being an aging athlete, we all get there. Now you got the Mike Trouts and you got the Connors that are kind of in their prime, but they're going to be here someday too. And the time that hand never stops, it never quits ticking. So how do you adapt to that, Randy, of being the natural Captain America, six pack abs, eight pack abs, tanned up, fighting shape. And you still are, you obviously always still look great, but does it ever mess with you mentally of man, time is flying. If I look back on my fighting career, it was, it seems like yesterday is the next 15 years going to fly by that fast. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's the shit I think about at this, at this age. Yeah. Well, I think you, you, you have to slow down and enjoy the journey at some point we get so result oriented. We set those goals way out there and, and we're so focused on getting there. And, and then sometimes we, we forget to look at where we're at right now and enjoy the small steps and enjoy the journey. That's it. That's, that's the fun part. It's not just achieving that thing or getting to that destination. It was the path that you took to get there and all the things you had to do to get there that, that you will remember and look back on fondly. And I think we forget that sometimes uh, we need to, you know, let go of that destination and focus now, focus on the journey now and the things we're learning and doing now. And, uh, that's, that's not always an easy thing to do. It, it, does it, does it ever mess with your mind of like wanting to still go out and test yourself? Do you, are you still the guy that will still go do uh let's say uh, an interval training of 180 beats a second on the heart rate monitor and then come down to 130 and then kick it back up? Or do you get on the Versa climber and still say, shit, man, I, I still got it. I'm captain America. I'm freaking the natural. I can roll with anybody. Do you ever get down on the ground and roll? Because like I'll go into Hendo's gym in Temecula and he'll get down, but he's definitely not moving at Hendo speed, but he, he still gets in there a little bit. Do you, still find yourself wanting to make sure that the world knows how much of a badass you truly were? I don't know if I care about what the world thinks about it. I, I do it because it makes me feel good. I, I like sweating. I like, and now I'm in a position where when I do those things and get on the mat with somebody or, or spar with somebody or roll with somebody, you get to share a wealth of knowledge. I've been doing this since I was 10 years old, right? You know, in combative sports, I started wrestling at 10. Uh, you know, 56 now, that's a, there's a, a wealth of experience there. I've probably forgotten more about wrestling than a lot of guys actually know. So getting on the mat, sparring, light sparring and rolling with, with, with clients or, or guys that are fighting out of my gym is a chance for me to pass that knowledge on, give that stuff back to others that can take those tools and continue to use them uh, in their career and in their journey. That's fun for me. Not only does it feel good and do I feel good because i got to sweat in and i got to work out, but now I feel like I've also imparted some knowledge on somebody that, that's worthy of that, that's going to take that and do something with it. 
And also, you can't forget the fact that you're a leading man now, so you have to be aesthetically pleasing <laughs> to the eye, right? I mean, you're yeah. you're a heartthrob yeah. actor now at this stage in your life, right? Uh, I might be the only leading man with these cauliflower ears. <laughs> I, I don't I don't ever know how to approach a guy. Like, I can go to Hando and, like, flick him, you know, and he'll grab me. And, like, our friendship has gotten there really fast through hunting and, and being around each other. But a lot of people still would go up to somebody with cauliflower ears and do what I just said. Do you ever do? And they'll be like, I'm just going to test it. It's kind of like Johnny Knoxville. Like he would get into the freaking the bull shoot with a, with a bucking bull from the PBR and just say, Oh, I'm just going to take one to the rib cage. Right? No, that's stupid. You don't go up to a freaking guy with those ears. And even all you do is buy him a drink and get to know him. You know, like it's uh, almost becomes like testing ground. Do you ever get tested? Did you get tested because of who you were or because of the cauliflower? years no not seriously nobody ever you know you get the offhanded comment and i'm sure hendo gets it too oh man i thought you'd be bigger you'd look bigger on tv i'm like well you have change your perspective when i'm sitting on your chest looking down at you <laughs> and laugh and they don't know what you said and they're not sure and, and you know just laugh it off you got nothing to prove uh and, and nobody's ever taken it that far or where they wanted to push it that far um i think you know most of us are friendly guys we don't have a chip on our shoulder. We don't have anything to prove. We've been there. We've done that. We've already proved it. So, um, you know, and you're right. Most of the time when those sort of things happen, there's alcohol involved. I just, I can't imagine myself. Like that's one thing I have known for a long time is not to mess with cauliflower ears ever. Like you just don't do it. Wrestlers, a wrestler that has hands is the baddest ass fighter in the world. I don't care how you could be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I got tons of mad respect for that and how long it takes to get there. But a wrestler that can take you down and defend a takedown and has hands to ground and pound, you can't, you can't mess with them. They're just like, they're just, they were the me coming up. That is what I always wanted to do. And that I tell, I, I was going to go into this next is today on the podcast. I had David Taylor, who is my favorite wrestler to watch. Um, Great. Yeah. Like he's like the offensive machine. He's just coming back from an injury. One that, you know, he's qualified for the Olympic team again. And I was talking to him and I was looking at him like, you don't look that tough. You just don't. He's like, he's sitting there talking about how he adopts cats with his wife now. And he's like petting this little kitty, like Mr. Bigglesworth, you know? And I'm like, this is David freaking Taylor. Like you're in, and, and I'm just like, look how non-assuming the baddest ass dudes in the world. Like I wouldn't mess with him or Jordan Burroughs if my life depended on it with the way that they can score at wheel. And, and I'm just like, dude, this guy is just the sweetest little unassuming cat loving cat petting cat adopting thing there is. And I told him, you know, Randy Couture is going to be on. And he's like, Oh man, Randy Couture. And you know, he's like, and I told you about my ammo sponsor the other day, Brian Kelvington with federal premium ammo. He's like, look at this thing. He's, he, he just retired from NCAA refing in D one and D two. And he sent me that picture of you and when you were coaching up at Oregon state. And so yeah. that started a whole con conversation between him and I about your career and about um, wrestling and about John Smith and Oklahoma state and your career there. And he knows a lot of, more about wrestling than I do. So I've kind of like got this mindset now through my platforms of, of hunting and, and this network that this, this podcast is called this life ain't for everybody. I always built it on my life's not special. I don't, I'm not saying that waking up early in the morning and shooting ducks isn't for everybody. I'm saying that Randy Couture's life is different than the janitor at the high school. But if that janitor's got his whistle going and his broom going and he's whistling Dixie while he's sweeping the floors and making our schools a better place to be educated at, then he deserves all of the, you know, he deserves respect for taking that job serious and kicking butt at it. And so this, this whole podcast series was wrapped around 
all these different walks of life that I've been humbled and fortunate enough to come across. I got to meet Hendo because I was friends with a major league baseball player named Ryan Klesko. Well, I got to meet that, that major leaguer because of his association with the hunting industry. And it opened up all of these doors. And now the next thing I know I'm on, I'm on a zoom podcast with one of my other MMA, MMA heroes and Randy Couture. And it's so now I want to freaking like, I want to get wrestling out there even more than it is because like Boise state lost their program and there was threats of USA wrestling, you know, being out of the Olympics. And when I watch beat the streets or I watch the NCAAs, or if I even watch the big 10 championships, like I, I I'm glued, like wrestling is so awesome for the fabric of America. And I just think that that, that message that you give and that so many wrestlers can give and the leadership and the substance that they obtain through that, that upbringing, I think it's really important. And there's a lot of community, that don't even have a wrestling club or a wrestling mat. We did an episode two years ago in Missouri River, Missouri Valley in Iowa. And a kid, a farm kid, he was a stud. He was favored to win the state championship, gets killed in a head-on collision on a farming road, 18 year, 17 years old going into his senior year. So we go and we say, all right, what can we do as hunters? The duck hunting in that area is really good. We film there. But what can we do to to get wrestling on, on a national TV show and to show how we can take our, what we've got our ability to do and give back to not just this family, but to that high school. So we go into the gym. I have, uh, Brent Metcalf, who's the assistant coach at Iowa state. And I have, um, I had one more wrestler with me. He, one of, one of the studs from Iowa. I can't even think of his name. He's going to kill me now. Um, they're in the wrestling room giving a seminar to these kids and the kids are just like, Oh my God, dude, these guys are it. This is Iowa, like the home of college wrestling, right? Of, of a wrestling upbringing, it seems. And we raised, we wanted to raise $1,300 for new singlets. We raised $12,900 and bought them a new mat, all these new singlets. And not, none of this was, not all of this was on the show, but we wanted to give back. And through the, through what uh, Brett Metcalf and these wrestlers did for that school and this dinner we put on, the kids were selling tickets to it. They had a chance to win a Benelli and a side-by-side -side and all this stuff that we put together through our hunting partners. And we gave back to this wrestling community in Iowa. And it felt like, man, this is awesome. So that kind of got me thinking like, man, I want to talk with all these wrestlers and keep getting the word out there of how strong and the substance of what wrestling teaches a person. I didn't wrestle. I thought I could. I just, I was an asthmatic. That's my excuse, Randy. I had asthma and I would be out of breath too fast. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, I want to talk to more wrestlers because the, the, it's just the best freaking substance there is and it, everything that it teaches you from leadership skills to perseverance to tenacity i just don't know what else you need in life than the background you learn from a solid solid wrestling upbringing or a solid program yeah i agree there, there's no better character there's no sport on the planet in my opinion that develops character the way that sport does you're going to learn how to win you're going to learn how to lose you're going to recognize that you're getting out of it exactly what you put into it along the way. You want to be lazy and, and not do the work. It's going to show up. And guess what? It's going to show up while you're out there by yourself on that mat competing and struggling against another human being. That's not the time. I mean, you're never more vulnerable than you are when you walk out in the center of that mat or up those four stairs and into that cage. And that builder, I don't care who you are. You, I just don't think that you can, you can develop a better, I don't know. I just, I don't know how you can't succeed in life with that type of an upbringing because it's like a very 
strict and very regulated and, um, and just total focus. And everyone that I get to talk to, they have this, it seems like they're cut from the same cloth, even though I know they're not, but they're just their values and their, their ethics and everything that they preach or they not preach. That's not a good word to use, but everything that they talk and believe in, it seems like y'all went to the same exact coach and the same exact school and the same exact, whether it was the TOCs and the tournament of champions arena or a John Smith or a, a Dan Severn camp at ASU, wherever it was, it just seems like it's the same message that gets brought out of all of these wrestling rooms. Yeah. We were all forged in the same fire, same heat. Uh, there's just no way around. If you're going to be on or up and learn this sport, you're going to have to learn by the numbers. You're going to look at the world in a very particular way. You're going to learn the physiology, the mechanics, body, the coordination, and then you're going to put yourself in the most vulnerable spot. Put yourself as a human. And uh, sometimes succeed, and sometimes you're going to fail at that. And if that's not life, I don't know what is. I don't know uh, either. That, that's, that's, that's why the sport is so amazing. And that's why it's man's oldest and greatest sport. Uh, I think because of that. So who do you have on your, on your dial right now? Do you still pay attention to the college rankings? Do you pay attention to uh, the, the world's, the Olympic trials? Are you paying attention to Kyle Snyder and Jaden Cox and all of these guys right now? I mean, we got some studs going for America right now, right? We have an amazing team right now. We have an amazing set of rules. I think they finally recognize the separate, separate, Greco and freeze a little bit, uh, you know, since bubble uh, to be removed from the Olympic pro a few years back, I think it shed a lot of light on, on the sport of wrestling. It forced us to make some changes and clean some house, if you will, to make the sport a little more exciting, a little more fan friendly. And we have the athletes now to uh, demonstrate what this sport really is all about on the world stage. So we're getting, being put on the bubble like that was probably the best thing that's ever happened to wrestling, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we had to fight for it a little bit. It wasn't just a given that we we're going to be the Olympic sport. And we were one of the original Olympic sports. So to have that taken off the docket because the folks that were organizing and running international wrestling weren't paying attention, they weren't listening to the IOC, uh, was a big thing. So I think cleaning it up, getting the rules the way they are now, making it fan-friendly and fun and understandable. And, and having a team like we have right now has been very, very important. We have some work to do in Greco. We need to recruit a little better, get some of these kids on the Greco program a little younger so that by the time they get to the, to the senior division or the open division, they're not getting their butts whooped because the tactical style of both Greco and freestyle are so different. Um, well, freestyle is more akin to our collegiate wrestling and, so guys gravitate towards that. They want to make that Olympic team like all those guys you just mentioned, those the, you know, young kids right now are watching them win medals. And it's like, I want to be like that guy. We're not winning those medals at the Greco level because we're not attracting those young kids. It's not a terribly popular style in the States. Again, one of the reasons why when I got exposed to it in the army, I wanted to do it. I wanted to excel at it. I want to do things that nobody else had done yet and, or, or not many people had done yet. So uh, I think getting these younger kids on board, showing them they can go out and win world championships in Greco. They can achieve and, and uh, uh, make all those goals come true and those dreams come true too is real important. And I think that, that that's something we need to do in the Greco side of the house. But on the freestyle side of the house, we've got the best team I've seen in a long, long time. 
killer to watch. What are you doing as Randy Couture right now for a face or an ambassador of Greco-Roman? Is, is there things on the map? Did I hear a rumor or am I digging into something that I, or did I hear something that you were involved in? I thought that there was something going on with you and the Greco uh, organization or Greco-Roman wrestling to try to get it, uh, get it something. Uh, I know we were, we were going to try and do a gala specifically for Greco-Roman wrestling this spring and all this COVID stuff kind of postponed that. Is that with uh, Hendo? That was with coach Linlin. I'm sure we'll bring Hendo in. I think Chael Sonnen's going to be involved. Some of us guys that took that Greco background and translated it to championships in MMA and in fighting where there's, you know, a little more notoriety of, of all the styles of wrestling that I've been involved in. And I've been in several different ones. Uh, Greco is the one that translates the best to mixed martial arts because of the upright posture, because of the clinch and the infighting and the fact that you have a solid barrier to trap guys against Greco translates very, very well to, to martial arts. And I think a lot of people don't really recognize that, or a lot of wrestlers don't recognize that at least yet. So I think that's something that, Guys like me and Henderson and Chael Sonnen and Matt Linlin want to highlight because uh, there's a lot of guys that are aspiring to be mixed martial artists and they're using wrestling as their foundation, as their jumping off point. So Greco is definitely a style you'd want to focus on if that's your goal. You hear the term, you could sell ice to an Eskimo, thrown around about guys that can talk their way into and out of a fight before the fight really even starts, you know, and, and I kind of <laughs> prided myself in that at one time in my life. One of my other friends on a podcast earlier, he's from Georgia, he's a redneck, Randy, he said, yeah, that guy could sell a hat rack to a moose, which I thought that was a really good analogy, right? <laughs> so that's a pretty good little redneck analogy right there, but when you hear the name Chell Sonnen, is he a badass is he a stud or is he just a lot of selling ice to an Eskimo because the dude is an unreal speaker he seems so intelligent but I know the in the end game of like that he is a stud wrestler and that he is a workhorse and that he is a badass but he says stuff that makes me go is he really the highest paid fighter of all time and did he really <laughs> retire is like like is this all a, a deal to get people like me to tune back in to see what he's going to say next because it's just it like he's not the highest paid fighter of all time or that he left the sport of the like i hear all of this and i'm like this guy is just like he's a salesman right he's a he is a character for sure he's this guy very smart guy you're very right he's a very intelligent young man I've known him since he was in high school. We tried to recruit him to Oregon State when I was coaching there. He ended up uh, he ended up at the University of Oregon, so we had to coach against him. Uh, and then, obviously, when he started his MMA career, we were the guys that started him. Uh, he was an alternate on the Greco team in 2000 for the Olympics. Uh, you know, wrestled at the very highest level, both collegiately and and internationally, uh, and then translated that into mixed martial arts. Uh, and he's one of those guys that saw the handwriting on the wall. He saw what Tito was kind of the first guy to take that his mouth and use that to generate heat and, and, and use it as a tool for marketing himself as a fighter. And, and then, you know, Baroni and some of these other guys along that did a lot of those same things. Chael took that to a whole new level. And then Conor McGregor took what Chael was doing and elevated it even more into, into these publicity stunts and these things that were, we're seeing now it's all ploy psychological warfare in some ways to try and get in your opponent's head, create doubts there or frustration and anger. You want that guy thinking about anything, but tactically and technically how to go out and beat you. So you can use some of the psychology, 
psychological warfare, if you will, uh, to your advantage in some cases. And that's exactly what Chael's done. And he's now used it to market himself. He's a great commentator. He's smart. He's usually got a great perception or perspective on things. So I think he's very, very good at that. Uh, and he's, he's done that based on this persona that he created as a fighter. So with his intelligence level, would you have him on your team as a coach? Would you have him in your boardroom as a CEO? Would you have him as a national sales manager? Would he be in the Randy Couture organization to go out and take on the business world, whether it was the Greco-Roman gala, whether it was going into a Hollywood production meeting and, and representing your brand, or whether it was going into a huge retailer to sell your clothing to, does Chell Sonnen make the cut as part of the Couture organization? He would, absolutely. Really? He's been... I mean, he was with Team Quest. He, you know, he's part of the team almost from day one. So, yeah, he would absolutely uh, make the cut. No doubt about it. Awesome. Yeah, I just I, I listen to his his stuff and I watch him and I'm just like, this dude is thinking on such a different level than most people do during the day. And he just knows it. He just knows he's manipulating the the the, the deal. His questioning and everything. I'm like. I, I see where you're going with this, you know, I, and I'd love, I'd love to sit down with him just to learn. Like, like I know I could pick up on a lot of his, of, of what he does. He just seems like he's a, 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 a very smart and intelligent and well-read person. It seems like to me, uh, like let's talk about one more personality before I get back to you and then I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time and hopefully we can do this again someday. Joe Rogan and what he means to the that the culture of MMA. He's he he's uh he's out there. He talks freely about marijuana use. He talks about he talks about um elk and hunting and he eats wild elk and I love it. He's very open and transparent just like you are. He's a he's a, a very vulgar comedian that uses profanity. He's in a he's in a position to where he can do that in front of that crowd, but he also has the responsibility not to talk like that when he's doing the commentating for the UFC. Sometimes a little bit he slips, but he knows he's got a younger crowd and a younger generation watching. Very respectful of that. How instrumental has he been since the early days of UFC? Is he a good spokesperson for MMA? Does he does he walk the walk and talk the talk with his ability to train and his background and his knowledge of jiu-jitsu and other disciplines? Are you a fan of Joe Rogan is, I guess, the bottom line question. Well, I think Joe Rogan is 100% authentic. And, I mean, he was literally at every single fight I ever had for the UFC. He was doing the backstage interviews, my very first fight, UFC 13, you know, he wasn't in the booth yet doing doing the commentary in the booth, but he's a very skilled uh, practitioner of martial arts. Uh, I think he had an early start in in Taekwondo, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he's you know he's obviously a long time practitioner of jujitsu. He loves striking and kickboxing. Um, absolutely capable as an individual. What I love about Joe is he's not afraid to stand up for what he believes in. He talked about the marijuana. He's one of the most vocal and first people to stand up for legalization. And talks about some kind of helped him or God or whatever. And, and those things are interesting to me. And somebody that's, like you said, that transparent, that wide open, wears that on his sleeve and stands behind that. You got to respect that kind of character. Uh, somebody that, that's willing to do that and, and backs that up. So I've always liked Joe. I think Joe's a tremendous, obviously his podcast is kicking butt and taking names. He's, he's, and he's very, very, very smart. It's very clever. Even his comedy. Yeah. He gets a little raunchy, but 
even what he does, it's still very, very funny and very, very clever. Well thought out. Um, he's on a different way, level. Yeah. In, in some ways he's the antithesis of what you would think a stoner is because he is so articulate and, and it's so deep. It's so interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I think he shatters a lot of those myths in a lot of ways. He seems uh, to be like very him. humble too. Is he very humbled, man? I like him. Uh, he's, you know, done a few events with him where he was hosting or doing different things. And he literally drives his own car, you know, to those events, parks like everybody, you know, walks in. I mean, he's just a very, very normal guy. I like that's him a awesome. lot. That's how, that's the impression I get. I, I want to shake his hand someday because what he's done for our lifestyle of being the American hunter and living off the land and harvesting your meat and you know what he's doing with elk meat and the Traeger grills and his bow and arrow and, and guys like Steven Rinella and Remy Warren and John Dudley. I just, I think it's so cool. If, 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 the UFC or any any organization came to Randy Couture and I this is 100% you're in tip top fight shape because there is a lot different shape of I, I would assume that you're not in fight shape right now you're in great shape but I would assume fight shape's probably even a different level is that fair to say absolutely fair to say true so if you're in tip top fight shape and you get to pick three fighters I don't care what weight division they're in but they're going to weigh the same as you when they fight you you're just going on styles toughness respect to the game who do you pick as your three fights right now with who's out there it can be of all time I don't care if it's I don't care if it's Fedor I don't care if it's Connor but who would you want to fight well I mean Fedor would definitely be on that list I mean that's the one fight that that if if you want to say it that way got away that didn't happen, that probably should have happened. I thought it would have been a huge fight. When he was the number one guy for, for pride and I was the number one guy for the UFC in the heavyweight division, that's when I chased, he and I chased that hard to make that fight happen. So he would definitely be on. Um, you know, if I was in my prime, I, I would I would want to fight John Jones. Oh, I knew, I knew you were going to say that. Um, I, I, I think he's an amazingly talented young man. It's really unfortunate, all the other th- stuff that's gone outside of the cage. Um, and, and again, you talk about things to detract from the purity of this sport and the character that, that, that this sport, I think, breeds. Those things are certainly detractors uh, for me. But uh, he's as talented as they come. The long range, he poses a lot of problems. Those elbows are wicked. Uh, you know, Unorthodox as heck. It, he would have to absolutely be a guy that, that I would want to fight. Um, I think because he's got a strong wrestling background, anytime I, re- I fought a guy that had that strong wrestling background, it was going to be a much tougher, much more interesting fight because in some ways it neutral neutralized some of the things that I relied on heavily in my fighting style. So, Before um, you go to the third fighter, Randy Couture, would you say that in the history of mixed martial arts and combat sports, even boxing included, is he one of the greatest – all around technicians and the unorthodox and just finding a way to, he's never lost. He's never, he, his last fight he did, he's lost some rounds and Gustafson could have been either way. He lost the disqualification to, to, um, Matt, um, Oh, I can't remember the kid's name that was on the ultimate fighter. Um, I can't remember, but remember that he dropped the illegal elbows and got disqualified. That's his only loss. Matt Hamill, Matt Hamill. Um, is he one of the best all-around fighters of all time in American history with what you've seen him do in the octagon? Well, that's a tough question. Okay. Like I said, I'm amazingly talented. Uh, but I think in order to be one of the best fighters, it's more than just what you did in, inside the cage, inside the ring. And I think the same is true about boxing or, or any other sport. 
I think so much of it is it's a total package to inside and outside of the, of the playing arena. Uh, if you want to be on that list, in my opinion of, of the best, then, then it has across the board. So what, can't just be, this is how I feel about it. So what I said about the legacy and that the fight game and you're held at a different standard, that's true, right? I'm not just saying that for my health, right, Randy? It's like, you can't, step on the fight game you can't go get do what you do and either be called a cheater and test positive a bunch or go out and get in trouble with the law whatever it is or go out and and, and disrespect your opponents whatever it is i just don't think that in the fight game you can't go into the hall of fame with that i'm not saying you can't but the legacy's there right you got to be judge them on all of that i think guys i mean look at muhammad ali he 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 ran his mouth and he talked I mean, making up poems and doing all that. I mean, he was the original that, that, that did that sort of thing and he backed it up. Uh, and I think that's the difference. You're going to get away with a lot of that. People are going to give you a lot of latitude if you're just running your head and talking a lot. If you go out there and you perform well and you back it up. And I think that's, you know, that's the difference. Um, it's, it's not enough just to be skilled and, and be good in the ring. You, you need the total package, in my opinion. So I did say Fedor, and I did not know that he would be in your in your three fights. I did think that you would say John Jones because it seems to me like he's that guy that people want to be. Hendo says the same thing. You know, he got hurt in training camp going into the Jones fight. Would Khabib be the last one for Randy Couture with his wrestling background and the way that he chews his opponents up? Um, uh, I mean, that dude's a bulldog. I, I definitely like his style. His style is certainly in my wheelhouse that's similar to fighting style taking guys down, smothering them, finding ways to pick at them and bang on them and, and, and make them work harder than they want to work. Um, so, uh, but I, I don't know if, if he's, you know, I think because maybe we're in different weight classes, uh, he wouldn't, he probably wouldn't make my list that way. I don't know. I'm looking at guys I could, I could really probably fight. Cormier. Uh, I like Daniel. I think Daniel translates his wrestling and wrestling band and his knowledge into the cage as well as anybody. I'm a fan of him for sure. Obviously, he's a cowboy. Cowboys, we we run together. So, uh, you know, I, I've always been a fan of him. I was impressed with him the times he's been in my gym, the way he taught, the things, how he explained things and broke things down. I was very, very impressed by him. Um, you know, again, anytime I'm facing another guy with those kind of wrestling credentials, it's going to be a very interesting fight. It's going to be a fun fight. But... Again, I, I think I I name the two that come to mind. I, I have trouble really coming up with a third one. Uh, you know, there never really been one that say, "Oh, I'd like to do that fight over again." But I guess if I got a chance, it would be fun to, to give Brock Lesnar a, a go again. You know, to be back in fight shape and in my prime. And I felt like I was so close and I had the right game plan. I, I, I would love another run at that uh, to see how that. I'd came love out. to see that too. I'd love to see that. So. I'm going to let you go. I want to do this again. I'd really like to do something with you. Uh, maybe we can discuss this in the future with Hendo of doing something with MVP. Maybe we do a parking lot event. Maybe we can do a fundraiser. Maybe we can mix it in with a concert with, with some of the country musicians that we run with. I just see, I'd like to get involved and help out where I can there to bring some, uh, you know, our fans or our following into that, because I, I love to support the military every way we could, every way we can. And I think that that's a great, I just the the model of it seems really cool, you know, to get, let them get into that gym and have a great workout and get things off of their mind. So um, let's talk about that. Maybe, man, I appreciate you being here. And my last thing is 
nutrition. When we get off of this deal, do you are you a hidden ice cream eater? Are you going to go knock down two bags of Frito Lay's with chili, or are you a, <laughs> are you so dedicated that it wears people out around you that you can stay so disciplined on your diet that you will literally barely touch star? You're the guy that goes into a sushi restaurant, and even if you can afford the sashimi, you get the regular you get the regular nigiri with rice, and then stuff the rice in your pockets, don't you, Randy Couture? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I definitely like ice cream and, and, uh, I, I bought Mindy an ice cream maker last Christmas for Christmas. So she's making like real homemade, healthy, good ice cream. I'm also kind of a cookie monster. I, I, I've always liked cookies for some reason, but, uh, I've been doing that intermittent fasting since I retired from fighting. I knew if I you can get away with murder when you're fighting, you know, because you're, you're training twice a day, five or six days a week especially going into a fight, you can pretty much eat whatever you want. It's not going to stick anywhere. Uh, again, you try to eat good food and healthy food, put good fuel in the engine so it runs well. Um, and I knew when I retired, I wouldn't get away with a lot of the things that I got away with because I was training so hard. So I started doing the intermittent fasting. And I, I'm a, more of a night person, so I choose a six-hour window from two to eight. That's my window to eat food. I still try to eat good, healthy food and good food, stay away from processed stuff, stay away from fried stuff. But every once in a while, you got to live, right? You got to do something so, uh, uh, or, or have a little fun or relax a little. So I'll, I will eat some ice cream. I will have some cookies on occasion. But most of the time, I try to eat good food. I love food. Um, not, nothing better than a good steak, especially a good elk steak. So you are, you are a wild game guy. Oh, absolutely. Oh, we're going to get along. Since I was six years old. You've been hunting since you were six years old. Yeah. My, that was one of the few times I got to see my was he'd come take me out of school for a week and take me hunting. So uh, I think to this day, it's one of the reasons why I still love to hunt. All right. Well, you do like sushi though, right? You can throw down on some oh, raw I, fish. I, I, I laugh. I, I always say, yeah, I eat anything that doesn't eat me first. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk, man. Let's, uh, let's plan a hunt in California or somewhere this year where you're close to Hendo's going to be around. We're going to be in the Chico area, Sacramento. Um, let's get together on a hunt camp and put together a, a, a maybe some kind of function for the MVP and, I really appreciate great. your time, man. I'm a big fan. I'm humbled to have you on here and the way that you conducted yourself professionally in the octagon and, and, and serving our country and kicking ass in life. You're a true inspiration, my man. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, Randy. I'll talk to you soon. That's Randy Couture. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. You can find Randy Couture. Your Instagram handle's a little bit different. I follow you. Yeah. There's actually another Randy Couture out there, so... They already had the name. So it's XC Natch, Extreme Couture Natch, short for natural. So XC Natch on Instagram, Randy underscore Couture on Twitter, and Randy the Natural Couture on, on uh, Facebook. All right, Randy, I, I challenge you to follow us back. The foul life followed you. So follow us back, would you? I'm going to we'll be, do. I'm going to be, oh, we're going to be pushing this out, promoting it. You guys check out Randy Couture. What an American stud. Check out his acting career. He's been in a lot of movies and more to come. Congratulations, Randy, on a great career. Tom, hit that button. Thank you all for joining us here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. This is Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? They're all equal, that's what I think. I don't believe even has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth And don't make a dollar bill all this world Cause I'd rather be